0: Hello and
1: welcome to the Bangkok Offstage Podcast, the first bilingual podcast on the Bangkok performing arts scene. I'm Gelta. And I'm Amitha.
0: In episode 4 of season 4, we talk to someone whose work and creative process demolish all kinds of borders in science and art. Lucy McRae is an LA-based science fiction artist and body architect who grew up ballet dancing and running 100-meter hurdles. She studied interior design at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, or RMIT University, and went on to work at Philip's Far Future Design Research Lab. Where she was part of a team that focused on wearable and emotion-sensing technologies. One of the things that she and her team developed there was electronic tattoos that are implanted in the skin and can appear and be transformed by touch. The British-born Australian describes her work as, quote, speculating on the future of human existence by exploring the limits of the body, beauty, biotechnology, and the self. Her collaboration with scientists and artists have led to works such as Swallowable Perfume that releases fragrance through sweat, Future Day Spa that asks the audience to place their bodies in a pressurized sheet designed to relax and simulate the feeling of being hugged, and Institute of Isolation, a film exploring human resilience in extreme conditions. Most recently, she was commissioned by the Singapore International Festival of Arts, or under the theme of anatomy of performance, ritual. The result is Delicate Spells of Mind, a short film that raises questions about our ego and sense of belonging. For the film, she collaborated with LA choreographer Jasmine Albuquerque, who has choreographed videos for a wide range of artists, including St. Vincent, Katy Perry, and Rihanna. If you're interested, the film is available at SIVA On Demand until July 10. In this interview, McRae shares with us why she thrives best in unfamiliar conditions, how Buddhist philosophy is becoming more relevant to her work, and what questions need to be asked about the future. This episode is in English. In episode 4 of Season 4, we have talked about the, 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 the Lucy McRae is sci-fi and body architect, or the scientist. She is here with the ballet and the the 100 meters. หลังจาก Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology หรือ RMIT University ก่อนที่จะไปทำงานในห้องปฏิบัติการวิจัย Far Future Design ของบริษัทบริษัท Philips โดยเธอๆเธออธิบายถึงการทำ Swallowable Perfume หรือ Future Day Spa ซึ่งและ Institute of Isolation ซึ่งเป็นภาพยนตร์ Delicate Spells of Mind สำหรับ Singapore International Festival of Arts หรือที่ตั้งสำหรับหนังเรื่องนี้ถามเกี่ยวกับอัตตาและ Jasmine Saint Vincent, Perry ถ้าใครสนทางถึง 10 กรกฎาคมนี้ค่ะนี้ค่ะในเอพิโซดนี้ลูซี่ So welcome to
1: Bangkok Offstage, Lucy. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to speak to you. Thanks for having me. Could you begin by talking about your journey from classical ballet and 100-meter hurdles to design and architecture to becoming a sci-fi artist and body architect today? How are these things connected for you or break away from each other?
2: Mm, It's a big question Um, (laughs) to, to kick off with. I would say the theme that, has run through since classical ballet, which is what I was doing when I was 14 years old up until now, is that I have always placed myself in a world where I am not experienced in it. So I've put myself out of my comfort zone in places where I shouldn't have been, Um, I've remained diverse And so I think that there's a level of expansion that happens when you're working from a place of unknown, even though it is uncomfortable. So I think that, you know, as a classical ballerina, I didn't have the right body type. I didn't have the flexibility. But as a result of that, I created my own world within ballet and then moved and studied into interior design and either things were lacking or I was curious about other things. So I think that curiosity has led me um, to to now living in Los Angeles and Mm. and making film and installation and sculpture and working on television programs. But I think it's that essence of operating from that place of um, being okay to not you being okay with not meaning to be in that room or not meant to be in that room.
1: Mm. Was there, do you ever feel struggle or was it always a sense of excitement for you?
2: Oh, struggle without mm. a doubt. But mm. I, but I think by virtue of tolerating and being resilient to challenge mm. is what propels the motion forward.
1: Mm. And could you talk a bit about the term science fiction artist? Because I think we know about, you know, science fiction writers, authors, um, novelists, things like that. Um, But this word artist, which is more broad, and also the term body architect, which you yourself uh, made up, right? Could you talk about these two terms and what do you do as science fiction artist and what do you do as body architect?
2: Mm -hmm. I I think they, they have the purpose of trying to label something that doesn't want to be categorized. Mm. So um, body architect came first. Um, It was actually a a director of a far future design research lab um, that came up with the term and it Mm. comes from being a a classical ballerina working in architecture, graphic design. Um, So it was kind of like a mishmash of things that weren't meant to be in the same body, perhaps,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and, and for a human resources person who's recruiting for a job to be able to begin to place me into a position. And so I think sometimes, uh, unfortunately, there are traditional formats for how you get into a company so mm-hmm. I, was, I was trying to get into a company, a consumer electronics company called Philips, mm-hmm. with very unique, unusual and, and not meant to be background. Um, so that label encompassed everything from film to photography to graphic design to fashion, um, which then led me into wearable technology. And, and body architect still requires explanation Mm -hmm. And so when I was doing a TED Talk, I was speaking to um, the director there and and I explained that I can't, if I say I'm a trapeze artist, you Mm -hmm. understand I walk on a thin rope and I perform. A body architect still requires another level of communication. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, I think you're a sci-fi artist. And I was like, (laughs) okay, well, maybe if I... Couple those labels together, it gives someone a bigger idea of what I could do. But also, I was creating those labels because I resisted labels and I didn't want to be pigeonholed into fashion designer or, you know, and calling myself an artist took me about, I don't know, like a struggle of two years because Mm. if you're an artist, you then have to perform all of these duties as an artist to a gallery, to an institute, there's a level of expectation. So I think what I was trying to do was keep the platform as wide and broad as I could but still create a label that allowed me to communicate in those traditional modes of going for a job what I was doing.
1: What do you mean by perform all these duties um, as an artist to all these places?
2: Well, for me, when I was being asked to call myself an artist for a documentary, I was doing a residency in Brazil and, and the director was like, introduce yourself as an artist. And I was like, no, I, I haven't. That feels not, it doesn't resonate with me because at the time I didn't feel like what I was doing was art. It, it, I don't know what I was doing at the time. I was exploring But when you are um, labelled as something, as an architect, as an artist, as a graphic designer, there is an expectation of what you need to perform. As an artist, I felt like if I was an artist and I made work that would go into a gallery, I would have to continue doing that for the rest of my life, even if I didn't choose to, because that's the expectation of being an artist. Mm -hmm. And so a body architect or a sci-fi artist, and I I realised that there's sort of conundrums in this because (laughs) all I want to do now is be an artist for the rest of my life, but this was early early on. Uh um, it gives me the platform to, to work across film, installation, product design, fashion, sculpture, photography. Um, so, which you also can do as an artist, but I think that my relationship with labels changes as I move through my career.
1: Interesting. Um- Strictly speak, uh, relating to your practice, how do you see the functions of science, art, and art? And how do you use them together to address questions that are relevant to the you know our human body, our human evolution, and the future of our existence?
2: Did you say science and art?
1: Yes, yes, sorry.
2: Yeah, I, I think that for me, science is a way of understanding myself in the world. Um, there are many other things that I've am doing to understand myself, but I tend to start with impossible questions when I start an artwork um, that seem to be scientifically related. Uh, Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work that I have done in the past has looked at extreme cases of genetic engineering and Mm -hmm. what happens when we grow life outside of the body in a womb in the laboratory and does that still make us human? And so these are uh, scientific inquiries be mm-hmm. them possible or not and I use art as a way of um, familiarizing these very complex scenarios so I, I believe that um, both science and art can be greater when they are coupled together mm. um, particularly science mm.
1: Um, in your experience, what do artists and scientists ask of each other in collaborations? And in, from your experience, what do you think scientists feel they can benefit from collaborating with artists?
2: Mm. I mean, I'm, I, it feels sort of arrogant for me to say what they get mm. out of it, but yeah. I, I would say that the process of, of making as an artist, you, my process is allowing for accident, serendipity, doubt, um, you know, dis ease, uncertainty. Whereas in science, it feels much more measured. Uh, you have a constant. You have a hypothesis, which is also not not true in in all cases. So I, I feel like it's kind of um, we operate from different shapes.
1: Hmm. So if you
2: try and force a square into a circle, it's not going to work. But if you like if that circle is made from silicone, you can get the square in there because you're squeezing it through. So I think that if you think about science as one shape and art as another and by allowing the two different processes to merge together, you're going to create something different as opposed to when they are just operating separately.
1: Mm. when it comes to science fiction, I feel like people associate this term with dystopian views of hum- humanity and earth, like genetic manipulation, like, uh, you know, experiments gone too far. But I feel like when I watch some of your work, um, I feel like they tackle these topics with such a sense of fun and wonder and beauty and possibility rather than, you know, impossibility or rather than end of the earth kind of thing um, or end of humanity. And From there, they seem to give these topics completely different angle and raise a completely different set of questions. Do dystopian views of humanity have any influence on your work at all?
2: And if so, how? I think what I'm trying to do is uh, give science fiction a sex change. Like, can (laughs) we give the trope that we know so well, which feels to me mostly mechanical, mostly masculine, um, and I'm not setting out in the beginning to make it dystopic or utopic. It's more mm. here. here is a Petri dish. I'm going to throw all this stuff into this bath with some other stuff in it. Let's see what happens. Let's see what grows. Let's see what gets left behind. So I, by, by nature, I am positive and I believe in our global community that we will, no matter what, um, succeed and pursue. Mm. So uh, I, I didn't listen or read or watch sci-fi when I was a kid or when mm. I was growing up. It's really the science that fascinates me and speculating mm. on how science and technology is and will evolve the body and 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 the way that we interact with the world.
1: Mm. And uh, you've done a couple of of projects that explore isolation and intimacy, like the Institute of Isolation, Future Day Spa, Solitary Survival Raft. Um, where do you, in these projects, some of them you designed machines that help people deal with being alone with and without hum, human touch. What have these projects taught you so far about yourself and um, other humans, especially when it comes to our fears, our anxieties of being alone, and also our relationship to technology?
2: Mm. Well, I think when the pandemic hit, you know, friends wrote to me and they were like, my God, your art's prophetic. You, you knew this was coming. We all, we all can't touch, you know, we'd we have to stand six feet apart. And I, I think that the role of the artist is is so much about interpreting the fringes of culture and kind of digesting and redefining where are we at right now and where mm-hmm. are we headed, Um So I think what have they taught me that, uh, you know, every now and again someone will write to me and say, I wish I could have one of those at home, which Mm. is a machine that hugs you. So there's this yearning for being held. Hmm. Um, And I I think the kind of quest for everybody individually is to be able to hold ourselves Hmm. without needing anybody else, which is a really, you know, hard, impossible task. It's still a quest, a, a lifelong quest. Um, and I think a lot of the work around isolation and intimacy is about fitting in and belonging. Mm. And um, like Delicate Spells of Mind, the, the film commissioned for Sifa is really about accepting ourselves as we are without having to reduce or add or some, subtract mm. or change the things that we think Um, are wrong with us.
1: Mm. And um, it's perfect because you just talked about uh, Delicate Spells of Mine. I remember during the group interview at CIFA, you said that Natalie Henedigge, the festival director, she asked you for a work that was personal and confessional, and you said that's just not you at all. So you dealt with it with that task through dance. So what does dance still mean to you and how does it still figure in your work, even though you don't exactly use that label anymore?
2: Mm. Mm. I think Natalie was asking for me to talk to camera, to, to mm. like perform verbally, uh, which was a, a huge leap for me. So that's why the body was a form mm. of performance. Um and, and I used to be a dancer and um, have not worked with dance since I was a kid, so this was really like an opportunity to um, do something that I hadn't done before, which, as I said in the beginning, is really how I move through the world. Let's try something I haven't done before and and see if I am st- still stood up at the end <laughs> Um so I think dance in this case was really looking at the body as one organism, one mm-hmm. community, um, one, uh, you know, uh, silhouette in search for something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I've answered your question.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. Um, I'm just wondering because you earlier you did say that you're still doing classical ballet do you do you still go through the routine and the rituals of you know going on the to the bar and practice and all of that
2: no I haven't done that um for for a long time but you know over the pandemic I was taking classes with the uh, choreographer Mm -hmm. Jasmine Albuquerque Mm -hmm. over zoom so I, I think that um moving the body is you know a foolproof uh method for any kind of itchiness or, (laughs) um, you know, if I am feeling dark, go move the body Mm -hmm. and it shifts something. Mm -hmm. And I think that this film was also hinting towards that. It was looking at healing through the body and ritual um, as a form of, of, of repetition um mm. where by repeating and performing something over and over again you can sort of change a state of something mm. that what's what seemed to be solid can mutate and change into something else you mentioned during that uh, group interview that it was so important for you to
1: cast a, a diverse range of bodies can you talk about the diversity of bodies of I think of gender, I think you said of maybe racially as well. Um, Why is that important in your work? Mm.
2: Well, I I think that, um, you know, wonderfully over the last three years, so much change has happened living in America, Mm. Black Lives Matter, earlier, Me Too, um, gender fluidity, uh j- just the importance of recognizing every culture, mm-hmm. whether it's you know in indigenous stolen lands, mm-hmm. um, or minority re- groups, disability um, cultures. Mm-hmm. And this film was not about answering any questions, but really wanting to treat the audience as a, as a malleable, material or subject to ask, you know, what does this mean to you? How does this impact you? So when I was um, casting with Jasmine, the choreographer, I said to her, it's really important that we, we can, you know, we can only work with seven dancers, but we need to try and capture, you know, an audience or a cast that we can, you know, everybody could somehow relate to. So we, we do have people of colour, we have people who associate themselves as they, as an it. Mm-hmm. So it was really important to, um, to, to, and it's difficult with seven people to <laughs> <laughs> encapsulate every person, but it, that was a really, really important piece of the puzzle Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that diversity also was felt through the choreography and the day on set. That it was a very moving experience on set.
1: Mm. So it wasn't just about visually looking like you're you're working with a, div- a diverse range of bodies. So. Like for example, the way they um, they identify in terms of their gender that that doesn't show up on the film, but it's interesting that you say that this is this is also an important part of casting or working with 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 bodies.
2: Yeah, I, I think that um, I mean this is, is is a very big comment, but. Um, Somebody could be in a female body and move one way and mm-hmm. another person could be in a, you know, neutral body and, and move in another. And mm. that inner experience and outer experience um, is you You don't see. Mm. If someone, I'm, I'm kind of going off tangent here, but oh. we are all really good at performing. Hmm. We could be having the worst day of our lives, and walk down the street, and somebody else will look at us and not see mm-hmm. the tough time that we're having inside. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that um, what is so inspiring and impressive is that there are um, people in the world who are accepting themselves for who they think they are, mm-hmm. and reconfiguring, readapting, renaming, redefining what it is for them that is gender or is human or how they perform in the world. And I I don't know how to connect that with dance or movement, Mm -hmm. but I think it's interesting to capture Mm -hmm. this range of people who have committed Mm -hmm. to going against what they were given by Mm -hmm. their parents or what they were born with and really committed to something else that they believe they are. And that is a huge um, leap Hmm. to acknowledge and realise and stand up for what that person thinks that they are. And I find that um, to to then talk about fitting in and belonging, that's Hmm. a real stake in the ground is like Hmm. I fit in like this and that for me is really inspiring
1: Mm. um you've done a couple of pieces that deal with ego like uh, make your makers and now delicate spells of mind a little bit um you said before that you've been interested in buddhist philosophy and what it has to say about the self and our ego could you tell us a bit more about this interest and in which direction are you going with this topic Mm.
2: Well, before I said that I use science as a way of understanding myself, Mm -hmm. and I think that I'm also looking into other philosophies as a way of Mm -hmm. understanding how I place myself in this world. Um, There is a huge movement, particularly in California, around, um, you know, extending age to a Mm -hmm. point where maybe we can live until we're 250 years old or 150 years old. Um, and I met a physicist who is pursuing this career and asked them, um, well, why do we want to live longer? Mm. And and he said, why not? And I said, that's not good enough. It's not mm. good enough. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Mm-hmm. And so in Buddhist philosophy, the the root of fear is considered our fear of death. And so if we are removing death from the equation or at least removing it for 250 years, then what emotion replaces fear? Because fear also serves us as a humanity, but it also very much hinders us. So I guess like with science and art and kind of fitting the square into the circle, I'm now broadening those Disciplines and bringing in sort of ideas around spirituality, immortality, Mm -hmm. um, religion, and what happens when you start to bring in um, those things that perhaps in the past have, you you know, science is kind of um, to us, I mean maybe maths or I, I'm, I'm going to regret saying this, it, it's not black and white, right. but I've, I've usually in the past, I've if I can prove it with an evidence-based example, then I, I'm like, great, I believe it, done, mm. you know. But it's not that simple. And I think that the further I get down these rabbit holes, <laughs> there's multiple answers and multiple ways to move up or down or sideways. So I think that... Um, like, like anybody, our curiosities and our drive and our motivations change direction, and I think that I'm bringing in another element of of Buddhist philosophy to to kind of mirror that in front of science and 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 I think that we are reaching a point with genetic engineering, CRISPR mm. technology is an example where there's a huge ethical question mm. around what happens if we create, you know a bioengineered human with the dna of three parents or six parents and it's left grown in a womb for 4 years mm. how do we begin to determine what the the rules are or the ethics around that and so who else you know if if we're going to go and colonize mars mm-hmm. who do you want who who are you going to put on the team to create mm. a somewhat democratic diverse broad base for creating something brand new or you know life off earth and and I think that it's really important to bring in some of these ancient philosophies when we are considering the far future
1: it's interesting because you uh, when you're talking about bringing people to another planet or something like that we don't always think uh, democracy necessarily but uh, is, is that a, a big question because you talk more to our uh, to scientists and people who wonder about these things and who work on these things. do you feel like you know a democratic society is a big part of these questions?
2: I, I think that it is about um, you know, these kind of impossible questions need okay. to reach mm-hmm. all aspects of the mm-hmm. world um, because we can see what happens with inequality <laughs> um, and, and bias steps where we end up. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, having a range of minds and range is not even the right word. It's just mm-hmm. like a rainbow or whatever, you know, however to define it. But, um, yeah, I, I, to recruit a colony yeah. on Earth is, uh, you know, I think that's a whole other lifetime. As- <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you just need the entire, like you need a five-year-old, you need a, you mm. know, it's, it's like a, it would be a great question to ask at a mm-hmm. conference, like if you were going to colonize a new world, who needs to be there?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> um, you've said that you'd
1: like to push your audience into areas of discomfort. Um, and when you design like in the costumes in Delicate Spells of Mind, the resulting image, you said that the resulting image is more important than comfort. You've also said in an interview in the magazine, the September issues is that um, I operate my best when I'm out on the edge or in unfamiliar territory could you talk a bit more about discomfort and risk in the creative process and why do you seem to need discomfort and foreignness in in your process
2: Um, yeah I I I just want to clarify I didn't make those costumes uncomfortable (laughs) Um, I was I was designing them on my own body and it was I don't design stuff to be comfortable, but I also don't design them to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. either. So I just right, want to right. clarify that. Okay. Um, what's your question? Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, just oh, yeah. The discomfort, really? yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, if, you, if you are always going to approach something uh, like you've always made that carrot cake, you're always going to get similar mm-hmm. flavors. Like maybe it'll be sweeter or, you know, you need to change the ingredients. You need to not cook it in an oven. You need to fry it, you know. So I think that by doing something in a way that you haven't done before, you will get a different result. Mm-hmm. So that feels uncomfortable because you can't rely on anything, any kind of format that you've done before. It takes an element of, of courage and, and fortitude and, um, and also, you you need to be trusting in that. Even though I don't know what this is going to look like, mm-hmm. something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that, and and when I'm working with students who I teach at, at SIAC in Los Angeles, it's it's um, you know in the beginning, it's really not um, a practice mm-hmm. that students are used to making because they normally have these certain kinds of methods. Mm. So for me, I think that making from that place will end you with a different aesthetic, a different narrative, a different theme. Um, And I I think one example is that um, 10 years ago I had made these experiments in a large glass bowl that looked like these alien landscapes. I was throwing in these kind of non-soluble liquids, and I was like, great, I could be a screensaver designer. But I then started thinking about what could this mean? And so this is a big kind of jump in the story, but I created a swallowable perfume, Mm. which is a pill... That you eat and when you perspire you sweat a biologically enhanced fragrance mm-hmm. and when you impregnate that pill with color you sweat cosmetics mm. and so these screensavers that I had made were in my mind showing what happens when you eat that pill and how it's kind of moving and transferring in your body mm-hmm. and that whole experiment led me into um you know a synthetic biology, pharma, science world. So that's kind of one example of mm-hmm. taking something that you have no idea what it is and placing it within a story. But then there is another example, Harvard Business Review in 2016 listed 30 elements of value that someone wants to pay for with an, for an experience or product. And there's a triangle with 30 dots down the mm-hmm. bottom saves me risk, makes me money, saves me money, kind of, you know, the the basic low-hanging fruit. And as you move up the pyramid, the dots become more emotional. Mm -hmm. And at the top point, the thing that someone wants to pay for in an experience is to self-transcend. And so what does that mean? Self-transcendence means going beyond the expectations of oneself. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that I can make something that is going to transcend someone if I am not already out of some kind of expectation or zone. If I'm feeling comfortable and I'm not going to make something greater than what I have done before. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that, you know, and and it is a huge brief to sit down in front of a class and say, I want you to make something that's going to self-transcend your audience. You <laughs> too, in- too intimidating. So I think that when you're creating the kind of mind state that you're in is really important to what you're gonna produce.
1: Mm. Um, what, so working outside of your comfort zone, how does that relate to, cause you mentioned the word audience as well, because you not only use yourself and your body in experiments, you also ask people, whom you refer to as the audience to give themselves over to test machines you've designed and all of that. Can you talk a bit about that? Who's this audience and sort of the ethics of of kind of bringing them in to be part Hmm. of these experiences?
2: Yeah. In the past I've made installations where I vacuum people from head to toe in contraptions that hug their body in a way Mm -hmm. that no human could hug their body. And that takes a level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I have learned that um, uh, during these installation performance pieces that you can find out information about an audience that you never would have guessed having not met them um, whilst laying down mm-hmm. underneath a, a sheet where they're being vacuumed. And an example is that uh, Future Day Spa is a, a, a bed that you lay down under and a vacuum is pulled around the body so tight that it reveals the silhouette of your body. And this person said to me, this feels like an embrace. And mm-hmm. I smiled and said yes. Um, and then the person continued to say that they suffered haptophobia, which mm-hmm. is a fear of touch, and had no physical contact with any other body, and yet they knew that this felt like an embrace. And so there was there was an emotional connection going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and when this person stood up out of the bed, they reached out and they hugged me. And so within nine minutes, this was a self-transcendence experience, actually. Mm-hmm. They did not have touch with any other body. And after that, they went beyond that expectation of themselves mm-hmm. and hugged someone. Mm-hmm. And so that takes... This element of being vulnerable in a public domain, laying down and being within an art experience where you temporarily hand your body over mm-hmm. to this situation that mm-hmm. you haven't done before.
1: Mm. Uh, last question Can you come up with three questions about the future of the human body and human survival that you think need to be asked right now?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> three questions. <gasps> uh, mm, how could we all slow down, mm. like really, truly commit to slowing down mm-hmm. as a way of um, being more innovative and pioneering? That's not the reason to do it, but I, I feel that, that um, slowing down is not seen, deemed as a form of progress, whereas mm. I think it could be. Um, uh, <laughs> um What would happen if we would not require, affirmations externally? If we could affirm ourselves, individually, day by day, and not require other people to validate ourselves, how might that change how we are in this world?
0: Does that make sense?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um, My third question is... um, (laughs) Just because we can, should we? Just because we can live till we're 250, should we? Mm -hmm. Just because we could grow babies in an exogenesis womb and create life outside of the body, should we? Just because we can colonize Mars, should we? Mm. It's interesting because
1: because you you always kind of work with impossibility and then... Do you feel? Do you feel like um, sometimes you kind of have to, as an artist, too? Do you feel like you have to kind of go, "Hey, we have to draw the lines here," because you work with so much of, you know, demolishing all these borders and blurring boundaries and things like that. Um, Do you feel sometimes that, you know, how do you yourself stop yourself from going too far yourself?
2: I I want to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about. What's too far? I want to talk about that line. I want to talk Mm -hmm. about that blurry edge. What Mm. is the edge? And for Mm. me, that is where the kind of existential stuff exists Mm. and is, you know, it, it requires swimming upstream. And I think that that for me is where the really interesting questions are, where there's in fact no one answer there's a multitude of answers mm-hmm. and there's huge debate um and you could choose your own adventure and kind of go off and um end up in a different state uh, and headspace each mm-hmm. time you chose a different direction
1: mm. all right thank you so much lucy
2: thank Have you a good that evening cool. you too thanks a lot
1: thank you bye
0: bye Bangkok Offstage
1: is created, hosted, and edited by Ghat Taked and Amitha Amranand. The intro and outro tracks are Quicksand by Wildlight and Probably Shunt by Jay Lang.